following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. The deep love of Jesus. It's beyond anything I've ever known. It's hard to even describe. All of this is coming to a a great conclusion. A final great conclusion in the coming of Jesus Christ. I believe that before the coming of Jesus, there will be a great falling away. But there will also be a very straight preaching of a message that will bring revival. Many who are in the church will find themselves leaving the church. And many who are on the outside will come. Now, I have several passages of Scripture. I could not say such a thing if I did not turn to the Word of God and give you very clear direction regarding this final message that will bring revival in the end of time. And we are there now. In Matthew 24, Jesus begins to speak about what is going to happen at the very end of time. It's in response to questions that his disciples are asking. I'll begin in Matthew 24, verse 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Many false prophets have shown up. And they have deceived many people. Verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That phrase in the, in the Greek, grow cold, means literally a verb to breathe gently, to chill slowly. So what we've watched in my lifetime in the church is the world, the devil, blowing gently upon the church, chilling it, and it has grown very chilly. This is what Jesus said would happen as we came to the end of time. And then those who have been blown upon and have become very chilly, they will blow out of the church. Or they will be revived as in the Revelation 3 passage with Laodicea, where they will once more be ignited with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. 
I want you to notice at the end of Matthew, there is what we have always traditionally referred to as the Great Commission. It reads like this in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and preach and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This gospel commission is different than this final Matthew 24 preaching of the gospel. This Matthew 24 passage is in the face of the church that has grown chilled, cold, lukewarm. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So you see, there is a difference between this last end-day proclamation and the gospel commission. This end-day proclamation does not have the emphasis on teaching everyone to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Instead, it is a testimony to all nations that the end has come. Now, there is another passage we need to turn to to get a fuller understanding of what's being said here. And it's found in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, in the story of Peter healing the crippled man. After the man is healed, and everybody is listening, Peter preaches. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. This is what we're going to see at the end of time. We are going to hear a message that will bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ as a testimony to the nations. Now that message, I'm going to share from the scripture what that message is going to be in exact words. It may shock you. Verse 14, this is Acts 3, verse 14. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that God and ask that a murder be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given complete healing to him as you can see. Now move with me to verse 19. Repent then, turn to God. That is, stretch your hearts out to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So we have seen through all of history that when there was a time of earnest repentance on the part of God's people, 
when men and women began to turn to God and search after him to have their sins wiped out, then times of refreshing or times of revival, the word revival is not found in the scriptures, but these times of revival would come. I think of Jonathan Edwards and the First Great Awakening. I think of George Whitfield, Jonathan, and uh, and John Wesley. I think of Charles Finney, and then Azusa Street, the Jesus movement in America. Times of refreshing refer to times of the Holy Spirit coming. He is the one who refreshes us. He is the one who brings to us the water of life that Jesus promised we could drink of if we would come to him. Now, in the sermon that he gave, that Peter gave at Pentecost, he quoted the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. In other words, the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on everybody. Everyone will not respond. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke, and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He was quoting from the book of Joel. So, there will be a time of refreshing that will come after the devil has blown on the church and cooled it down. And certainly if you would ask today in the American church, has it been blown on by the devil's breath? And you would have to answer, yes. It is lukewarm. It is the church at Laodicea. Now, it's very clear. The church cannot live this way. Jesus said, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I'm about to vomit you out. You make me sick. He's saying that to his church at the end of time. Because they have been chilled down by Satan's gently blowing on them so that they don't even realize what's happening. They just... Slowly, 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 they watch television. If you watch the Super Bowl, you were blown on by the breath of the devil. And he seared your mind. And you'll have a hard time reading scripture now. You'll have a hard time praying with any fervency. The devil blows on us with the television. He blows on us with the sports events. He blows on us with 
clubs, with novels, with pornography, with every kind of perversion and wickedness. And the church just goes right along with it, doesn't seem to have a problem with it. So the church can accept every kind of deviancy. The church can accept every kind of wicked thing. It seems to be okay. And people even argue against the word of God for the right to be tolerant of wickedness and to stop even calling it wickedness, but to say, we're just being loving people. Well, Jesus is not nearly as interested in us being loving people as he is in our being obedient people, obedient to the word. Hell's going to be filled with lots of people who call themselves Christians and even have a heart of love but they've been cooled by the devil's breath as he blew upon them, and they enjoyed and participated in the things of darkness. Some of you love your alcohol, and you say, there's nothing wrong with it. Timothy was told by Paul that he should have a little... Yes, he didn't say four or five glasses. He didn't say a bottle. Some of you are becoming alcoholics. And as you become an alcoholic, you slowly have been blown upon by the devil's breath. You lose your fervency. You become argumentative. You become hard to deal with. Your family doesn't know how to deal with you because if they say anything to you, you explode in defensive anger. You're in trouble. Mister, you're in trouble. You guzzle your beer and you watch your TV and the devil's blowing on you and he is causing you to have no interest in the deep things of the Lord. Many of you will go for days without even cracking your Bible. But you say you do read your Bible, but in reality you don't read your Bible. You might pick up a devotional book once in a while and look at it. Why? Because the devil's been blowing on you and you have gotten very cold in your heart. You know, you take a hot soup, take the spoon and you, you blow on that spoon of soup and you put it in your mouth and it's nice. It's just perfect temperature. It's not hot. It doesn't burn you. That's called a lukewarm Christian. You don't offend anybody. You're tolerant, like the world. Whatever is, is okay. Look, I just want to be loving and kind. I just want to care. I want my beer. I want my alcohol. I want my club. I want this. I want that. I want my my football. I want... And the devil's blowing on you. And he's cooling your heart. And if you don't recognize the devil's breath, he will win and you will totally lose out with Jesus. Jesus wants you to be hot, on fire, alive, not lukewarm, not cold. He wants you to bear witness to him. 
we have come literally to the end of time. And we see in America every kind of wickedness is being promoted as being righteous, not just by the world, but by the church as well, by the Episcopal Church, by the United Methodist Church, by many other churches, by the Anglican Church, by the Baptist Church. I just read a news article on a Baptist pastor who congratulated Joe Biden on again funding Planned Parenthood, one of the most evil organizations that ever existed on the face of the earth. And yet this Baptist pastor is complimenting the president for restoring their funding. How is that possible? The devil's been blowing on that man's soul, and he's almost gone. There's almost no hope for him. I hope you hear what I'm saying to you today. You have to decide. We are at, literally, the end of time. Now, I want to come to specifically what message must be preached in this end day time, what message must be preached if there is going to be that last day revival? Well, it's very clear. If you come to Romans, the sixth chapter, this is the message. But I'm going to be much more specific out of the book of Revelation. But first, let me just share this. I'll begin reading with verse 2. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Do you understand? There is a death. There is a taking up of your cross. There is a denying of yourself, a taking up your cross, and a following of Jesus. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. And yet the modern church teaches that you can never be freed from your sin until you die. But Paul says that your old self was crucified and that this body of sin is done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin 
The modern church says you're going to always be a slave to sin. That's the devil's breath blowing on you, comforting you in your wickedness, convincing you that you're okay. Just keep going. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. That's present tense. Now, if you die with Christ, if you are crucified with him, you are then also resurrected with him currently now in a resurrected state. And you've been freed from sin. Now, it it is important. It's vital that we claim that in the name of Jesus. And we stand by faith that we are utterly freed from our sin. And we stop condemning ourselves, and we stop calling ourselves sinners, and we stop saying nobody can be perfect. We stop speaking those lies of the devil that he's been blowing upon our spirit from the pulpits of America. Instead, We make a new affirmation that I left my sin. I'm now walking clean. I'm now walking in the power of the Spirit. Do you remember the passage that I just shared with you out of Acts? I want to go back to it very quickly just so you can hear it. Repent. Turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. We need those times of refreshing now. And there will be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in refreshing power at the end of time. But what is that final message that comes? the final message of grace that comes from the heart of Jesus for you. What is that message? Do you know where it's found in the book of Revelation? I grew up with this. It was called the three angels' message. It's found in the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation. Let me read it. I saw another angel flying in the midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. Well, what is the eternal gospel? That Jesus was born of a virgin, that he is fully God and fully man, that he was crucified, and on the third day he rose. He was resurrected. He was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And now, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can stand by faith that the old man of sin is utterly destroyed. Paul uses the word utterly destroyed, not put down, not repressed, but destroyed. Finished. Gone. If you remember, John Wesley spoke about that. 
He said, as I've shared with you earlier, there was a a low road and a high road. Both, he said, led to salvation. Both came about when a person was born from above or born again. They were crucified with Christ and they left their life of sin. They no longer walked in any known rebellion against the Most High God. Now the high road, he said, would take place in a moment of crisis when we finally become so exhausted and so tired of fighting with the old man. We say, Lord Jesus, would you just remove it? Now it can all happen at one time, but it doesn't usually. In my experience, it happens at a later time, at a point of crisis, where a believer says, I can't fight this any longer. Jesus, take this old man from me or I'm going to die again. Well, how does that happen? It is a miracle of God's grace. Salvation comes to us as a miracle of God's grace and not by works, lest anyone could boast. It is a sovereign, miraculous work of God that he does in us and for us. This eternal gospel will be proclaimed one more time at the end of time. It's going to be proclaimed by an angel flying in midair. Now, we've learned that angel does not necessarily mean a heavenly being. Angel in the Greek simply means a messenger. In the churches of Revelation, we recognize that the angel of the church of Sardis or the angel of the church of Laodicea is the pastor of that church. So I don't think that the Lord God of heaven is going to put in the hands of an angel the proclamation of the gospel. I believe it is a person or persons who will make this final proclamation, and I suspect it will be done via radio, through the airwaves, but I don't know. The scripture simply says another angel or another messenger flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. There will be this final great proclamation found in Revelation 14. I believe this will be the great revival. Now, there are those who say, no, the great revival takes place during the tribulation after a secret rapture. I'm not going to argue with any man about whether there's a secret rapture or not. I hope there is. I don't think there is. I don't find it in the scriptures. I find lots of twisting and bending of the word to make it appear that there is a secret coming of Jesus for his people where people disappear out of airplanes and cars and out of their homes and they just disappear. I don't find that in the scripture. I hope it's true. I won't fight with anybody about it, but I can't find it. But 
regardless of when this last proclamation comes, it is the final proclamation of the eternal gospel before everything begins to totally destruct. The call is to worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So the final message to the earth is a call to worship the Creator, Jesus Christ. It is a call of the last judgment, of the final judgment. So the last message that will be proclaimed to God's people will be a judgment message. A judgment message that says, look, this is your last chance. If you don't respond now to this eternal gospel, you will be cast into the fires of hell with the devil and the beast and the false prophet. Now, don't wait until that time to respond to this eternal gospel. You don't know when your last day on earth is. You don't know when you will simply be gone. This last Saturday, I led a funeral for a very precious friend of many years. As she lay in that casket, I looked at her. I said, Sister, your journey is over. I hope you were ready. I hope you were ready. She believed in Jesus, but I don't know if she was ready. She lived some distance from me, her family. I had a wonderful time with the family and the extended family and could talk and share. Some of them are not ready for this judgment day. I am gravely concerned about that. The last message that God will give through Jesus Christ by the Spirit will be to give glory to God because the hour of His judgment has come. It's over. Worship Him who is the Creator God, that is Jesus Christ. Look at the Gospel of John, the first chapter. Look at Hebrews, the first chapter. Look at Colossians, the first chapter. They'll all tell you that Jesus is God. And he was the creator God. He created the heavens and the earth. All things that were made were made for him and by him. And he has a right now to come to us and say, Look, the hour of your judgment has come. Your case is now going to be decided. What will you decide? Then a second angel followed. There was some time and space between these proclamations. I don't know how much time. This is Revelation 14, verse 8. A second angel followed and said, Fallen. Fallen is Babylon the Great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. So as this message is going out that is telling everyone 
Look, you have one last chance. You have one last opportunity. And then Babylon is going to be destroyed. I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird, for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Sounds like America to me. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as a queen, I am not a widow, and I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her, death and mourning and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her shared her luxury, what's it mean? Shared, uh, what's it mean? Committed adultery with her it means simply that they agreed with her unjust practices with her unjust alliances to destroy nations. Think of Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya. I could go on and on with the list of names. And nations have participated with America in this. We have caused the death of many innocent people. Now, don't get me wrong. We have done much good. We've sent out countless numbers of missionaries. We have given incredible aid to many, many nations. We've saved many starving people. But the devil's been blowing on us as a nation. He's been chilling us down. He's been stealing our fire. He's been stealing our integrity. So we could have an election and be utterly corrupt. We could see corruption on every level of government and in the people. Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power. In one hour your doom has come. causes me to tremble. Causes me to tremble.
Now there is a third angel that comes. This last day message that calls us to repent is broken up into three messages. The first, the hour of God's judgment has come. Hear the eternal gospel one last time. Make a decision about whether you're going to go with the power of Jesus Christ, humble your heart, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him, or if you're going to continue letting the devil blow on your life and chill you down, take all of your fervor, all of your fire, all of your all of your energy, strip you and rape you. That's what the devil's doing. There's a third great message. A third angel followed and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on their forehead or on their hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. There you have it. There are only two ways. There is the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ, and the eternal gospel is the good news of the coming of the kingdom of Jesus Christ on the earth. It is this incredibly wonderful message that the pride of man turns against and says, I don't need anybody. I'm God. I'm as good as it gets. I'll live my life. I'll take my chances. You'll take your chances until you die. And you will face the judgment bar of God. And now the message is, even the living today are going to face now the judgment bar of God. It's over. This is the message that will bring revival to America when we recognize that we are facing the judgment of God and we must deal with our sin or be cast into the fires of hell because that's the truth. It says, He too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There's no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commands and remain faithful to Jesus. So you have now the final separation taking place between those who will not give way to darkness, who will turn away the cooling breath of the devil on their life, who are going to turn off their televisions, who are going to turn away from the entertainment, who are not going to go to the clubs, who turn away from their alcohol and their tobacco and their drugs. They're going to turn away from cheating and lying and stealing. They are going to become honest citizens of the Most High Kingdom. And then we have those 
who will continue to lie and cheat and steal, who will serve money, who will serve people, who will be people pleasers, who will always be tolerant, never stand up for the truth, never make anybody uncomfortable, never draw a line in the sand and say, no, you cannot go this way. You will face hell if you go that way. Some pastors teach this incredible lie that once you are saved, you can never be lost. You're always going to be a part of the family of God. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Now I'll show you how I know that. One internationally famous pastor from California preached a sermon that I listened to, and in that sermon he said, God will understand if at the end of time, to feed your family, you have to take the mark of the beast. He said, all of your sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven at the cross. And so your sin of receiving the mark of the beast is forgiven by Jesus at the cross. That's in total opposition to what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, there's no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This requires patient endurance on the part of the saints. Why does this require patient endurance? Because they may go hungry. They may starve to death. We're going to have to be patient and endure whatever we have to endure. But if we take that mark of the beast, and I'm not going to go fully into that today, but if we take that mark of the beast... We're going to receive the full fury, the wrath, and the torture of the Almighty God of heaven. So we have three very clear, clean messages. First, the hour of God's judgment has come. Now, the hour of of God's judgment. I believe today, this is the message that is already beginning to be proclaimed by those honest before God. God is judging the sinner. Two, that Babylon has fallen. It hasn't fallen yet. It's getting ready to fall. And we will soon see it tumble into the dust. We're going to see a total destruction of Babylon. It will be burned. It won't be flooded with water as with Noah. It will be burned. I believe Babylon is a world system, but I also believe it represents a nation, the leader of that system. The message will soon go out. Babylon has fallen. And when Babylon falls, 
You need to know when it does, and you need to be out of it. You need to be hidden away in a safe place, a safe haven, or you will not survive. The third message is, don't worship this beast power that has taken over the world governance. Don't worship this beast power that has a one-world currency. Don't sign up for it and don't take the mark that allows you to buy and sell. Don't do it. Determine now in your heart that you would rather die than receive the mark of the devil. I want the mark of the Holy Spirit on my forehead, not the mark of the devil. This will require patient endurance on the part of the saints. I recognize that. Now please, please hear me. You need to look carefully at your life and identify any blowing of Satan on your life that is cooling your spiritual life with Jesus. It could be coming through excessive hours of work that you're spending. I know of Christians who are working incredible numbers of hours, and I ask them why, and they say, because I have to have the money. They forget that Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you. Jesus is the one who gives us the ability to gain wealth. He is the one who provides for us. Our job is to seek his kingdom. Our job is to seek his righteousness, to seek his heart. Many who call themselves Christians love the entertainment of the world. I can't tell you how many Christian people sat in front of their televisions and watched the violence of the football game, the Super Bowl. The Lord Jesus hates violence. He hates football. Oh, pastor, as one brother said, there's nothing wrong with football. It's just a game. Oh, is it really? The gambling, the violence, the wasted time, the searing of your mind. Incredible. You see, we can defend ourselves so well, pretending that the blowing of the devil on our life is refreshing. I don't want the devil's refreshing. I want the refreshing that comes from the Holy Spirit, that comes in power upon my life, that causes me to speak with great compassion and love, but with great firmness and honesty. I want the power and the refreshing of the Holy Spirit and not the refreshing of the devil, because the devil's refreshing is a searing of our minds. So we cannot apprehend the cross and we cannot be 
We can't even read the scriptures and pray. You see what I'm talking about. Look carefully at your life. Where is the devil blowing on your life? Where is the devil trying to chill you out with money, with work, with entertainment, with relationships? Where is the devil trying to chill you out so that you are not serious about the gospel? Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. God bless you, brother and sister. I look forward to hearing from you. I need to hear from you. This is a faith venture. If you'd like to share, and thank you for those who even this morning shared, go to the upper right-hand corner of our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. Well, we're out of time. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Sure.